Today's Thursday, December 7th, 2023, and this is 5 at 8. With you today are Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we'll talk about the projected value of the creator economy reaching $480 billion by 2027. Saudi Arabia and Russia extending voluntary oil cuts. NASA's plans to send astronauts back to the moon, the record high in trade between the United States and China. And Google's release of its new chatbot, Google Bard. Story number one. According to the New York Times, the creator economy, consisting of individuals who post content and earn money from their reach, is projected to reach a value of $480 billion by 2027. People from diverse backgrounds are rising to stardom in this economy, amassing millions of followers and securing lucrative sponsorship deals. The scope and potential of the creator economy extend beyond influencers on platforms like Instagram, encompassing a wide range of content creators and monetization methods. Brands and creators meticulously vet each other to ensure alignment, and campaigns are strategically planned in advance to uphold brand integrity. The future of influencer marketing is anticipated to become more professionalized, with a clear distinction between influential brands and smaller creators. Authenticity and the ability to forge genuine connections with audiences continue to be crucial for success in this industry. Tell you what, Linda, this creator economy is something else. I mean, a guy changes a diaper, posts it online, and suddenly he's got a sponsor and a million followers? That's just wild to me. It's capitalism at its best, and it's fascinating to see it evolve in real time. It's definitely fascinating, Mark. But I can't help but wonder about the implications of this. These influencers are essentially becoming one-person advertising agencies, but without the regulation that traditional agencies are subjected to. It raises questions about authenticity and whether their followers are really getting a genuine interaction. Well, I think it's all about trust, right? People follow these creators because they feel a connection with them. They trust their opinions, their recommendations. It's no different than asking a friend for advice on a product. And I think it's a lot more personal and authentic than traditional advertising. I see your point, Mark. But there's a difference between getting advice from a friend and getting advice from someone who's being paid to promote a product. And while it's true that some influencers are careful about maintaining their authenticity, there's a real danger of that line getting blurred. Maybe. But at the end of the day, everyone's got to make a living. These creators are just finding new ways to do it. And if they can build a successful career while doing something they love, more power to them. Sure, Mark. But we need to consider the impact this is having on younger generations. They're growing up in a world where every online interaction could potentially be a marketing opportunity. It's changing the way they see the world and their place in it. That's true, Linda, but change isn't always a bad thing. It's just different. And who knows? This could be the start of a whole new era of entrepreneurship and innovation. It could be, Mark, but as with any change, we need to approach it thoughtfully and consider the potential consequences. The creator economy has a lot of potential, but it's essential that we navigate it responsibly. Story number two. Saudi Arabia and Russia have announced that they will extend voluntary oil cuts until the end of the year, despite a rally in the oil market and expectations of tight supply, as reported by Reuters. The decision has caused oil prices to rise, with Brent reaching above $1.90 a barrel. This move comes as a blow to U.S. President Joe Biden, who has been advocating for lower prices to support economic growth and prevent Russia from funding the Ukraine war. 
The U.S. and its allies have been urging OPEC Plus to increase output. But OPEC Plus argues that they are acting to maintain market stability. Both Saudi Arabia and Russia will review the cuts monthly and may consider deepening or boosting them depending on market conditions. Do you think, Linda, that this decision by Saudi Arabia and Russia to extend oil cuts could potentially be a strategic play to maintain their influence in the global market? It sure does seem to be rocking the boat a bit, especially with oil prices rallying. These countries have long understood the power they wield in the oil market. Given the current rallying in the oil market and the expected tightening of supply, this decision to extend cuts might seem counterintuitive to some, but it's worth considering it from a strategic perspective. The cuts allow them to control the supply and by extension the prices, which can have significant implications on countries that rely heavily on oil imports. And of course, this move isn't exactly music to President Biden's ears, is it? With tighter supplies boosting prices, it could potentially spell trouble for the U.S. economy and even his re-election prospects. It's a bit of a tight spot for the U.S. The country has been urging OPEC Plus to raise output in hopes of securing lower energy costs and aiding global economic recovery. However, OPEC Plus argues that their actions are aimed at maintaining market stability. It's a delicate balance and one that has significant political and economic ramifications. It's interesting though, Linda, isn't it? On one hand, you have this tug of war over oil production and prices. And on the other, there's this increasing global emphasis on sustainable and renewable energy sources. Makes you wonder how these dynamics might shift in the coming years. That's a very insightful point, Mark. The evolving energy landscape could indeed disrupt these traditional power dynamics. As the world gradually shifts towards more sustainable alternatives to fossil fuels, the influence that these oil-rich nations currently wield might be challenged. However, it's also important to note that this transition won't happen overnight. And until then, decisions like these will continue to have significant impact on global politics and economies. Story number three. NASA plans to send astronauts back to the moon this decade through the Artemis program as reported by the New York Times. The first mission, Artemis Thorist, was a test flight without crew members. It carried three mannequins with plastic models of radiation-sensitive organs to study the effects of radiation in space. The spacecraft, Orion, was specially designed for human crew members and experiments. The second mission, Artemis II, will take four astronauts around the moon and back to Earth. Artemis III aims to land a SpaceX starship near the moon's south pole to study its mysterious, permanently shadowed craters. If successful, NASA plans to regularly send crews to the moon and establish a lunar base camp and an outpost spacecraft called Gateway. Have you ever wondered, Linda, what it'd be like to step foot on the moon? With NASA's Artemis program, we might see that reality for more people soon. It's a giant leap from the last Apollo mission, right? The Artemis program is NASA's ambitious plan to return humans to the moon and beyond. The final Apollo mission was nearly 50 years ago, and since then our technology, understanding, and scope have evolved tremendously. For example, the Orion spacecraft used in Artemis is designed specifically to protect human crew members and experiments in space. Yeah, and I've heard about those mannequins, Helga, Zohar, and Commander Munikin Campos. They're using them to study how radiation in space may affect future astronauts. That's pretty cutting edge, isn't it? It certainly is. The mannequins are equipped with plastic models of radiation-sensitive organs, 
This will provide invaluable insights into the biological effects of long-duration space travel. It's a crucial step forward in ensuring the safety and health of astronauts. And let's not forget, Linda, this mission will also mark a significant societal milestone. The first woman and the first person of color will walk on the moon. That's a big win for representation, isn't it? It sends a strong message about inclusivity and equal opportunity. It's a testament to NASA's commitment to diversity and reflects the changing face of space exploration. And as we move forward, the Artemis program aims to go beyond the moon, and this blend of diverse perspectives can only enrich the journey. Absolutely. Now, the Artemis 3 mission is particularly exciting, right? They're planning to land a SpaceX Starship near the moon's South Pole. That's an area we've never explored before. That's correct. The lunar South Pole is home to permanently shadowed craters that have not seen sunlight in billions of years. The chemicals frozen inside these craters could help us understand more about the moon's history and the solar system. It's like a frozen time capsule waiting to be discovered. This kind of exploration is mind-blowing. And it's not just about the moon anymore. They're planning a lunar base camp and a gateway station in lunar orbit. Space is becoming our new frontier, isn't it? Yes, Mark. With the involvement of private companies like SpaceX, we're seeing a new era of space exploration. It's reminiscent of the space race during the Cold War, but with a focus on cooperation rather than competition. It's a fascinating time to be witnessing these advancements. Story number four. In a report from the New York Times, it is stated that the United States and China have reached a record high in trade. However, the challenge of balancing national security and commercial interests persists. President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping recently met, expressing a desire to avoid conflict and highlighting the importance of global business. Nevertheless, tensions continue to exist over issues such as national security, trade, and technology. The Biden administration is focused on cultivating alliances, competing with China, and investing at home to counter Beijing. While the U.S. has secured agreements and engaged in commerce and trade, maintaining a united front in the face of China's influence remains uncertain. European countries, such as France and Germany, have expressed caution in blindly following the U.S. approach and risking conflict with China. China sees an opportunity to exploit potential differences between the U.S. and Europe. American businesses desire greater certainty in the U.S.-China relationship, but face challenges due to Chinese policies that deter foreign investment. The difficulties of doing business in China are attributed to the whims of Chinese leadership, making market access uncertain. Despite the challenges, global businesses cannot ignore China's significance as the world's second-largest economy, as reported by the New York Times. Might be just me, Linda, but it seems like we're seeing a bit of a paradox here. On one hand, we have the U.S. and China, locked in what almost feels like a new Cold War, right? Yet on the other hand, trade between the two nations is hitting record highs. It's like we're caught in this high-stakes balancing act between national security and commercial interests. I see where you're coming from, Mark. It's a delicate situation. These ties of trade and commerce, they're like threads weaving two nations together. But these threads can also become entangled, complicating matters. The U.S.-Soviet relations during the Cold War era were similar in a way, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. It's like history is repeating itself, just with different players. The U.S. is trying to counter Beijing's influence, not just through trade tariffs and export controls, but also through alliances and strategic partnerships. 
much like the containment policy of the Cold War. But here's the thing. The global economy today is far more integrated than it was back then. Businesses can't just turn their backs on the world's second largest economy. That's an insightful point, Mark. Businesses are indeed caught in the crosshairs of geopolitical dynamics. And it's not just about economic gains. It's also about the risks involved. They have to navigate the uncertainties of geopolitical tensions, changing policies, and even the whims of the Chinese leadership. Right you are, Linda. And it's not just about American businesses either. Europe is also grappling with this. As Macron pointed out, they don't want to be dragged into a U.S.-China conflict over Taiwan. German companies, for instance, heavily rely on China for essential materials, so it's a global conundrum. It's a complex web of economic interdependencies and geopolitical tensions. And amidst all this, there's a pressing question. How long can the U.S. maintain a united front against China, especially when policies like the Inflation Reduction Act are not universally welcomed? The scenario is rife with potential complications and uncertainties. Couldn't have put it better myself, Linda. Guess we'll just have to wait and see how this high-stakes poker game plays out. I gotta say, though, it's gonna be interesting to watch. Story number five. Google has released a new version of its chatbot, Google Bard, in an ongoing race to compete with OpenAI's ChatGPT, as reported by the New York Times. The updated bot, underpinned by new AI technology called Gemini, is available to English speakers in over 170 countries. Sundar Pichai, Google's CEO, stated that this release marks the beginning of the Gemini era and that the technology will be integrated into various Google products and services in the coming months. Gemini is designed to generate more accurate responses and mimic human reasoning. Google has also trained the technology on digital images and sounds, making it a multimodal system. However, this feature will only be available to consumers next year. Google Cloud plans to offer Gemini to clients, competing against OpenAI and Microsoft. The company believes there is enough room in the market for all AI providers. It's pretty exciting to see Google taking on OpenAI with their new AI technology Gemini. I mean, competition fuels innovation, right? Google's been lagging behind OpenAI for a bit, but they've clearly been putting in the work to catch up. Gemini's performance stats are already impressive, outperforming OpenAI's GPT-4 in some areas. If you ask me, this is a great step forward in the tech industry. Mark, while I agree that competition can indeed drive innovation, I can't help but feel a bit apprehensive. Yes, Gemini is an impressive piece of AI technology, but we need to remember the potential risks these advancements pose. We've seen how these AI models can sometimes generate biased, false, or toxic information, so I think we need to tread carefully and ensure that ethical considerations are not being overshadowed by the race to outdo one another. Well, Linda, that's a fair point. Yet I believe in the potential of this technology to transform our lives for the better. Sure, there might be some hiccups along the way, but that's a part of any technological advancement. Google's taken a bold step here, and I commend them for it. They're not just focusing on text generation, but also training Gemini on digital images and sounds. It's a multimodal system, and that's a huge leap forward. I see your point, Mark. But let's not forget, this isn't just about technological advancement. This is about information dissemination, about communication, and these are areas where mistakes can have serious repercussions. Even Google acknowledges that Gemini can get facts wrong or even hallucinate, creating information from nothing. So, while it's fascinating to see the progress, 
I remain cautious about how this technology will be deployed. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.